What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, ladies and gentlemen, live from Pittsburgh Studio Number One, it's Cold War Radio. Here's your host, Hutch Bailey Jr. Ladies and gentlemen, Brigadier General Robert S. Spaulding, U.S. Air Force retired, is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute focusing on U.S.-China relations, economic and national security, and the Asia-Pacific military balance. He is the author of the book, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. General, thank you very much for coming on Cold War Radio. Much Bailey, Jr. Thank you. Great to be here. Actually, thank you for coming back to Cold War Radio. You were on before, uh, a great guest. And and I want to say, sir, that uh, I watched a documentary the other day that the Epic Times produced that you were in. And I got to tell you, I watched this thing and I called my uh, people in New York and I said, you got to get the general back, man. This was amazing, uh, this documentary. And and it was uh, called Tracking Down the Origin of the Wuhan coronavirus and i gotta tell you sir after i watched that the very first thing that got me was how horrible the united states media is that documentary put them to sleep sir i mean it was amazing yeah i mean the uh, unfortunately we don't hear the facts um you know it's 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 not media really it's well i guess it is media it's entertainment media it's not news uh, media or newsworthy. I think we all we all recognize that. So, well, let's know, just go over a couple of the, a couple of the highlights that that really stunned me. You know, we've been listening to this. First of all, is the timing of the whole thing. I mean, you have the Hong Kong situation going on, the trade uh, deals with the United States that did not favor China, uh, the Taiwanese election, and then all of a sudden, boom. Uh, we get this coronavirus, but one of the things, sir, that that stunned me, there has never, other than uh, them experimenting with them, there has never been anything about bats in the true analysis of what happened. Am I right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's true. Um, You know, part of the problem was there was a rush to name it COVID-19, which really is I think a perfect name for it because it really it, 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 <laughs> there's nothing explanatory in the name, right? And, and I mean they they went to this, uh, and, and this this was a, a documentary that was hosted by a guy named 
Joshua Phillip, whose credibility went way up in my book after I watched this, but they were talking about this wet market in Wuhan and how they immediately came out and just completely sterilized it after they quote unquote identified it as the source of the virus. Uh, But they went on uh, and interviewed people, General, and there was no bats on sale at that market. But we've been hearing about this bat soup and everything from almost day one of this outbreak. And it just, uh, you know, the the way that that you guys compared it with SARS, and you were in, actually, in China during the SARS outbreak. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, about how that was kind of similar uh, to what was happening uh, with this virus? Well, yeah, it was interesting because um, me and my family were living in Shanghai at the time. You know, I was an Air Force major, and and I was sent to live in, in China for two years kind of learn the culture and the history and language and, and geography of China. But, uh, you know, at that time, the, the SARS started in Guangzhou. And then, um, but the biggest infection was in, uh, in, in addition to Guangzhou, was in Beijing. We were living in Shanghai, and Shanghai's between Beijing and Guangzhou, so I could never figure out how it was that Shanghai didn't have a big, big infection Um status and we were evacuated from china eventually but you know of course come to find out that you know they were covering up just like they uh, did for the coronavirus so essentially they treated the the the, uh, the the spread of sars the same way they hid and obfuscated and made sure that the truth never came out about um the the origin or, or how that virus uh, came to be and and i think there's been two releases of that SARS virus um, accidentally from labs in China subsequently. So, I mean, this is uh, this is something that goes on with the regular occurrence there. Um, not being, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they, it was uh, accidentally released. The coronavirus was accidentally released, but the evidence really points to that. Yeah, and thanks for joining the show. I'm Jack, uh, a co-host. Um, the, now, your experience in here, when we look, and Hutch had mentioned the timing uh, of this release, but I'm looking more at the way that the Communist Party was trying to downplay it to the point of denying that there was even a problem and letting this get out of hand where I'm I'm confused. Maybe it was a a saving face as the Asians like to do, or was it actually, actually could have been deliberately allowed to uh, uh, contaminate the globe since you have so much trade and economy of folks uh, from China through Europe to the United States across, across the world on a daily basis. Um, do, you, do you think it's as nefarious, uh, nefarious as that, or was it just the fact that they were too embarrassed and they didn't want to face uh, the shame of having accidentally unleashed this? No, I actually, I think um, it was, uh, so I, I'm uh, fairly certain that Xi Jinping, the, the, the general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, knew this was, uh, that human-to-human uh, transmission was occurring. I think what they uh, decided was um, it was going to go, it was going to spread in China. Um, and if it was going to spread in China, it was going to cause economic disruption. And if it was going to cause economic disruption in China, 
that they didn't want to be the only nation on earth to, to suffer that. And so that's why <clears throat> right prior to shutting down Wuhan, they let 5 million travel. In fact, the 5 million that they let travel, the air travel, domestically, they didn't allow travel to other places within China, uh, but they allowed international flights out of Wuhan. So, um, by the way, that's how, uh, why New York is, is suffering now, because essentially, you know, they went from Wuhan to Europe and from Europe to New York. So. Wow. It's so integral, and the, the ties, like, and the book you touch on, uh, the plan that is the Chinese government, the party is not dumb. They're utilizing every generous uh, outreach from the United States and Europe and all across the globe economically, willing, uh, wanting to have the cheap labor so the goods are uh, low cost in in Europe, the United States, and Australia and, and the like. They're willing to uh, look more for profits than to uh, condemn the way that the Chinese actually run their country. And at the same time, I mean, having them rise to a level to where the United States, at this uh, emergency medically, they were needy from the Chinese themselves for items that we should produce here in the first place. Well, not only that, they're, um, <clears throat> they have uh, systematically... Uh, since, so there, there was a, essentially a truce call between uh, the U.S. and China uh, with regard to any rhetoric um, about the origin of the coronavirus. And, uh, and the reason that truce was called was so that we could get um, PPE and masks and, and so forth from China. But even with that, um, you've seen, we've seen uh, our airplanes, when they get to China, there's a delay and, and they, uh, you know, of course they have a, you know, this lengthy paperwork process and inspection process and, and everything. So they're slowing down. They're, they're essentially purposely slowing down the shipment of these goods to the United States. I mean, this is just what they do. You know, when, when, uh, if you remember back at the G20, uh, in Hangzhou, China, uh, back in, I think it was 2015 or 16, uh, President Obama flew in, the, in the Hangzhou and they couldn't find a set of stairs so that he could come oh, yes. down the airplane from the front. He had to come down, you know, from the underneath. And it, it, it was funny actually to hear the explanations from the folks in the U.S. Embassy saying, oh, you know, they were doing their best. It was just, and I was like, why does that happen? That always not, happens. That is not. <laughs> no, that was, that was, that was outrageous. That was right? done on purpose. Yes. It was done on purpose. And, 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 the, and the thing of that, you know, and it really is indicative of the way that we handle these types of things. You know, the way it should have been handled is you close up the airplane and leave. And, right. um, and, but instead, you know, he, he chose to go, he should not have done that. And it was really, it was, uh, it was a sign of weakness, and, and, and essentially the Chinese used that with all of their, um, you know, not uh, allies, but I would say, you know, subsidiary countries to, to demonstrate the, you know, their power over the president of the United States. It was really, it, it was shameful. Um, but, you know, this is, this is how we have such a, a misunderstanding of the Chinese Communist Party. 
and, and what they do and how they think and, and, and what they are. Now, General, obviously you have been around the federal government for a long time. Uh, I actually retired from the Army after 35 years, so I have too. Uh, and I wonder, I think our, our, our tactic of embedding U.S. government oversight-type people or, you know, if you look at what happened in the Ukraine hearings, everybody that worked at that embassy was, uh, you know, on, on seemed like they were not on the United States side. Uh, and, and I worked in equipment maintenance, and I had a, a contractor that used to do work for us, and we had a U.S. government guy there that was supposed to be oversight to make sure we didn't get robbed. And every time I went up against that guy, it seemed like he worked for the company, not for the government. You know, I don't know why we do that. But one of the things that you said in the documentary that you covered uh, uh, pretty strongly was the relationship between the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, and our scientists. You know, how the money is just flowing from China into, uh, you know, different uh, areas of the United States. And, And, I mean, you were talking about scientists, but I'll take that to politicians, to the media, to sports figures. They've infiltrated just about everything in the United States. Uh, any uh, thoughts on that? No, no, that's actually absolutely true. That's what my book talks about. Is So if you go back to, you know, prior to the end of the Cold War and 1973 and the Internet and openness, um, you actually had you had to bring troops with you if you were gonna if you were gonna um, go into a country and, and do something. And and what's happened since uh, with globalization is that we've allowed these totalitarian regimes like China to have purchase nearly everywhere. Think about if Commodore Perry sailing into Japan with the Great White Fleet, and the Japanese had said, uh, "You don't need guns. It's just you know you can." If you give us some money, you can have whatever you want, right? That's essentially what we've done with the, the Chinese Communist Party, and they've they've um, gladly accepted. Of course, you know they've essentially partnered with Wall Street so that the monies that they bring are actually our own money from our retirement funds mm-hmm. that they turn around and then use to um, to grease the skids to get whatever they want. It's, I mean, it's actually it's it's. It's criminal, but at the same time, it's very smart on their part if we're going to be that dumb. Now, one of the things that that, uh, struck me, and I don't know how compartmentalized that documentary was when you guys were making it, but uh, there was a portion in there, and God bless the people for all the pronunciations on the Chinese names, because I couldn't have done that. But there was one that I wrote down. It was a woman, a doctor named Ji Zhang Li. Uh, who basically sure inv- yep. invented this damn thing? I mean, she made it. She she put it together. I mean, this is a man-made thing. Yeah. And and if you look at her, if you look at the uh, trajectory of her research, uh, she was going into primates next. You know, and it's why would you do that if you weren't developing a biological weapon? Yeah, you know, so I, I think if I've read the reports that say that the um, virus is naturally occurring, and if you read the reports, there's a lot of conjecture in there, you know. But they they um, they issue a proclamation with what they say is a weight of facts, and, and actually they're not they're making suppositions and assumptions. And if you look at the suppositions and assumptions, and then you weigh them against the fact of what you just said. 
you realize that there's there's very low probability that it came from the wet market. We have no we have no credible evidence. The only the only uh, evidence that you can point to, and, and this is the one thing that I would correct what you're saying is the virus itself is naturally occurring. But what happened in that lab was they took a naturally occurring virus and essentially, um, you know, over time modified it so that it could be infectious to humans. So, so when when researchers say it's naturally occurring, that is true. Okay. But it was a naturally occurring virus that, that was modified. Um, you know, it appears it was modified to uh, infect humans. Yeah, that's uh, I, that. The more you go into it, the 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 angry you get. But I'm yes. looking into your the, your book. You're saying that uh, United States, I mean, the China has been you know taking every goodwill uh, methodology from all of these nations across the globe, and basically, uh, you know, uh, stolen intellectual property, uh, delivered. Uh, you know, backdoor uh, routers to the United States military. I mean, all kinds, no matter what, pet food with lead in it, toys with lead, bad drywall, everything they touch, and now this is gone bad, but they've never had to pay the price. Yet, um, reading the synopsis for your book, you're saying this pasta still, we're like right here on the precipice. We can turn this around and regain our self-reliance, our sovereignty, and put China back in its place uh, and take them out of this power position that we, well, some greedy folks within uh, all walks of life in the United States have allowed China to get to. Um, can you share just maybe one hint, one part? Is is the Trump uh, trade deal like part of it, uh, hitting a reset button? Oh, it, it is a part of it. I think um, I would not have asked for uh, the trade deal. Um, I think, though, it, it really um, let you realize that the Chinese Communist Party really didn't want a deal. I think the, the part that um, you can see that is really um, flipping us around here is the tariffs. The tariffs are so important to resetting and reshoring manufacturing here in the United States. It was the um, elimination of tariffs when China joined the WTO that allowed for, you know, over 70,000 factories and 3 million manufacturing jobs to essentially disappear in the space of less than 20 years. Uh, and that, and then in addition, that 3 million manufacturing jobs, another 10 million support jobs for those communities. So whole communities, tens of thousands of communities, many in rural America were destroyed when China entered the WTO. And of course, you know, we, you know, uh, economists in the United States said that those communities would transition to different jobs, better jobs. And of course it didn't materialize. And oh, by the way, you know, in those factories where most of the active ingredients for pharmaceuticals are made today in China, at night, when those factories stop making the drugs for, you know, antibiotics and other things, they're making fentanyl. Oh, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Those yes. same communities that where the factories were taken away. So you have devastation to the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the order of tens of thousands of Americans every single year. 
to add to all the uh, tens of thousands, now almost 40,000 have died because of coronavirus. Are you saying that that the Chinese Communist Party targeted the delivery of fentanyl to areas they knew were economically depressed because of uh, different transactions? What I'm saying is that they enabled it. They enabled. Um, so what? So so essentially, what they do in China is is you could do whatever you want. To make money, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you don't threaten the Chinese Communist Party. Right. And so, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of organ harvesting. I have. Where they take um, people who are religious, Yugers. usually religious um, dissidents, they put them in prison, they tissue type them, they blood type them, they ultrasound their organs, and then they put them on a donor list. And if somebody comes along with $170,000, they'll pull their heart out and give them to them. My goodness. That, so that kind of, so, so you think of some of the most horrific things, and if somebody can make money, but they don't challenge the Chinese Communist Party in doing so, then they're, that's okay that, that, they, that they do it. And so these pharmaceutical factories that make drugs during the day make fentanyl at night wow. to ship to the United States. And the government essentially says it's okay as long as you um, as long as you don't threaten the Chinese Communist Party. And of course, when you talk to drug enforcement people here in the United States, they'll say, "Oh, you know, the Chinese are cooperating with us because they don't understand that the Chinese Communist Party absolutely allows the production of fentanyl. All fentanyl that comes to the United States today, all 100 percent, 100 percent of fentanyl that kills Americans to the tune of 60 or 70 thousand a year." comes from China. I think everybody in the audience knows one or two people uh, that have been killed by that. I certainly do. And uh, I look at the the devastation in West Virginia with the coal situation pre-Trump, and, and what, a, what a wasteland, I mean, because of that. All right, now to the most important part, sir. Uh, on February 4th, we know the timeline of this in the United States. On February 4th, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, took over the Wuhan Institute. So it's military by nature back in February 4th. Uh, I listened to, and I wish I would have got her name. There was a PhD on there that I, I didn't write her name down. I apologize, ma'am, if <laughs> you're listening to this. Uh, but she basically said that in her first uh, years of employment uh, with the federal government, with uh, infectious diseases, she was stationed at Fort Detrick, Maryland which I was there too. I wasn't stationed there, but I did some operations there, and my goodness. But this is where the United States has its uh, infectious disease research and level four labs and, you know, the negative pressure rooms and every, or positive pressure rooms and everything. Uh, that made me nervous. She said that there was some real bad safety issues there. Uh, but that's just a precursor. I want to talk about unrestricted warfare, and something that the PLA adopted, I'm sure you're well-versed in it. Uh, and I think that's what we've been talking about all evening, sir. Your thoughts? Exactly right. And the other translation um, that I um, just ran into recently that I think is actually more appropriate to, um, to explaining what they were writing is war without rules. And so essentially... What they did is take a world of rules, of laws, of standards, 
uh, of principles of values and essentially said, we're not going to abide by any of them. And we're, and we're going to use the fact that you, the rest of you abide by them to give us an advantage. And, um, but, but we're, but what we're going to say is, well, we're going to, we're going to play by the rules, but then we're not going to. And I think that's what um, those two PLA colonels realized when they wrote that um, that book is that if we could, if they could take the fact that we abide by the rules as um, an international order that's based on democratic principles and, and free choice and, and human rights and, and rule of law, that they could come in, say that they were gonna do that and then do the exact opposite and for the most part, you know, we've never called them on it. And, and, and you know, you go back to the, 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 the point of the, the stairs with the President Obama. You know, when they do things, we just say, oh, you know, maybe they're just, they're, they, they don't know better or, you know, next time they'll do it better. And, and yet they continue to do it over and over again it's because we never call them on it. We don't enforce the rules. So, you know, what the what the federal government has been doing since the first quarter of 2018 after the national security strategy came out is we're enforcing the rules you know we're doj fbi the uh, state department u.s trade representative you know the the state the uh, the treasury department congress they're enforcing the rules and so you know the the media is reporting oh you know the the huawei is getting put on the entity list. They're getting blacklisted. Um, it must be, you know, Trump, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, pulling some kind of scheme against Xi Jinping. No, the federal government for the first time, because of the president, has enforcement as its duty and is actually executing that duty like it should have been doing for the last 30 years. I mean, the way he put the, uh, the people in the commerce arena and a trade representative he almost elevated them to wartime positions, which I thought was one of the most brilliant things he's ever done, and any president, really. It seems like those people were always left off the guest list whenever we went to make trade deals. It never made any sense. Uh, the final thing I want to ask you, sir, is what do you think going forward uh, about the situation that we face in the South China Sea? I mean, you just recently uh, had a, uh, an incident with Malaysia, and you've got Chinese naval presence in and around Taiwan. Uh, you've got problems with Vietnam, with the Philippines. I mean, this is a pretty nice size body of water with a whole lot of different sovereign nations uh, encircling it. Where do you see us going there with the uh, with emphasis on the Chinese um, actually constructing, if that's possible, an island and an air base there? Well, I think there's two things. One is we need to help um, the the surrounding nations have the means to resist coercion, you know, and, and primarily that's with dealing right. with the Coast Guard vessels that the Chinese employ to ram uh, their ships. And so we need to help them with that. But then, um, you know, the reason the president pulled out of the INF Treaty, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty with Russia, was because China had used the fact that we were in that treaty with the Russians to essentially um, go after uh, building 
thousands of uh, ballistic and cruise missiles in, in the 500 to 5,500 kilometer range. So we can actually produce those very, very cheaply, and we ought to be producing them and then uh, positioning them in the theater to act as a counterweight uh, against the, the, what the Chinese Communist Party has produced. And I think those two things, the, the, giving the, uh, the nations of the region the ability to counter coercion from China, and then giving, um, you know, pr- placing the means to counter their ballistic missile advantage in the region and to threaten their uh, naval ships will allow us to deter conflict in the region. I think that's very important. All right, stealth war, how China took over while America's elite slept. Any uh, final comments or anything you'd like to mention about the book or how people can get in touch with you or the book or anything else, sir? Uh, yeah, I mean, the book, you can find the book on generalspalding.com. It's at Amazon as well or any other uh, place where uh, books are sold. I think, you know, 2020 is the year that we really need to deal with the relationship with, uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. So if you're, if you're uh, thinking about voting this year, you need to think about how do the people that you're voting for stand with regard to how we deal with the Chinese Communist Party. I think it's probably one of the most important elections um, in our 240-plus year history. Absolutely. Robert Spalding retired from the U.S. Air Force as a brigadier general after more than 25 years of service, a former China strategist for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Joint Staff at the Pentagon, as well as a senior defense official and defense attache to China. He earned his doctorate in economics and mathematics from the University of Missouri and is fluent in Mandarin Chinese. Sir, thank you very much for coming on the program. It's been great. Hope to get you back. You're definitely uh, uh, one of the go-to authorities when it comes to uh, this area of the world, and I think we're going to be paying more attention to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Looking for an alternative place to find news and opinion? How about conversing with fellow patriots? Join us Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for Cold War Radio. You will find it at www.spreaker.com or in the Spreaker app. Search for Cold War Radio and you will find it. Since I've been listening, I have met some terrific patriots and learn quite a lot about current events that the mainstream media will never tell you. Please come and join us. Be inspired. You will feel right at home in our speaker chat room. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.